Welcome to the latest edition of the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Renthal Street Components. Almost 900 street fitments for handlebars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains and sprockets. This is a special little show. We're almost at the edge of the 2023 MotoGP season. My name's Adam Wheeler. I'm sitting here in Barcelona with Neil Morrison. The reason that two of us on the pod this week, Neil, is because we had the uh, fortune to attend the launch of the Gas Gas Factory Racing MotoGP team last week in Terrassa, a small town just outside of this city. Uh, And it was a pretty kind of vibrant and lively event. I mean, we've seen all kinds of team launches so far this year i mean we were both at the repsol honda one in madrid um you know where repsol can't afford to give anyone any coffee uh, i'm going to repeat that one again maybe i'll stop going on about it by the time of the 2024 team launch still bitter <laughs> still bitter yes yeah, like my coffee as well uh, and then you know we've had more functional you know press presentations uh, such as the rebel ktm one which was online so was the uh, the mooney vr46 team which was just a couple of days ago as well as the lcr honda team uh, we're just missing the rnf team aprilia that's right in going to be in portimao which you would understand because miguel Oliveira being the lead rider for that team Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they're nearly all, all uh, done. And it was a pretty good one on uh, Saturday there out in uh, Terrassa. Um, it was great just to see everyone in the flesh. We had not just the riders, Augusto Fernandez and Paul Espargaro, but Pit Barra from KTM, Harvey Pontrell, obviously from Tech 3. Um, all of those guys made themselves available to, t- to talk. Um, and uh, yeah, there was a, a kind of party vibe to it. It was a bit like uh, they turned their little factory there into a kind of nightclub with uh, some live music, some banging tunes, and um, yeah, good uh, good entertainment. It's uh, and we can we spoke a little bit on a podcast, you know, goodness, at the end of January, I think, about the role of team presentations. I mean, do companies and brands want big media coverage from this sort of stuff? Are they just serving a B2B kind of function in appeasing sponsors and brands that are investing a lot of money or effort or resources into these teams? Or do they want something that kicks ass on social media? I guess that's still something, you know, the priorities vary, don't they, according to the parties involved. But the Gas Gas one, I think they wanted to create the impression of a a young, vibrant brand coming into the sport. I mean, Gas Gas, uh, I think 1987 they were created, late 80s. It is the newest brand um, in the series in in two ways. So it, it kind of tick those boxes, like I said, uh, for, you know, the impression of really the, the, the vibrancy they want to bring to the championship. Um, you know, there was, there's just one TV crew there from Dorna. Um, there was marginal media attendance. Um, being on a Saturday night, I guess, you know, we work enough weekends that it is, so that's always going to be a limiting factor. But uh, I, I think this kind of format, you know, is something that maybe could be done bigger in the future and possibly have more concessions to media coverage which would amplify the uh, the, the purpose of it yeah i guess uh, i guess you could say that for sure i think it was important for um this to be marked in some special way you know um obviously gas gas coming into the premier class for the first time ktm um have done a good job in um Guess making that visible in, in Grand Prix up until now. Last year, they obviously won the uh, the Triple Crown in Moto3 with the gas gas entry um, using KTM machinery. Um, and now in MotoGP, I mean, that's a special occasion. And I thought it was kind of cool that uh, historically they marked it by um, putting it where, you know, gas gas originated in uh, Terrassa, just outside Barcelona. So that was, that was cool. And um, yeah, there's definitely a kind of, uh, you've mentioned a few times on the show how they intend the brand of Gas Gas to be slightly different 
than KTM itself. It's supposed to be aimed at younger audience, slightly edgier, um, and the kind of presentation, I think, reflected that. Yeah, the whole get on the gas is very much the slogan. Um, the event was opened by two riders riding trial machinery through the crowd, which was... Um, you know, quite lively. And then I think Paulo Spargaro and uh, Augusto Fernandez came up onto the stage on SM700, which is kind of like a, a hybrid supermoto travel street bike. It's the only street bike, I think, in the Gas Gas range at the moment. But um, uh, Hubert Trunkenpoltz, you know, people might have seen on TV in MotoGP, who's the uh, executive member of the board, uh, the, the Pura Mobility Group. He's promised that there will be uh, Gas Gas street bikes coming up in the future. So this is a big branding exercise and therefore if you are going to rebrand your product in a, that way for MotoGP then you have you have to sing about it you have to make a big deal about it and I think branding is something that um, I mean I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to live with uh, you know a delectable young lady who's an expert in it but uh, you know I think branding is something that's going to become more prominent in MotoGP because not only do we have the 75th anniversary of the world championships coming up uh, we also have a new concept in MotoGP with the sprints so I think people's perception of the sport um, is something I think you have to pay some dues to. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that is probably where the sport is lagging behind somewhat to its competitors. I think we can all agree that the, the kind of the, the basic product of MotoGP is certainly there. The racing, you know, it's close, it's varied. Um, there's lots going for it. Um, when you look at somewhere like F1, where it's maybe not quite as close, it's quite as competitive, but certainly how um, the series has to present itself almost, you, you feel it's still coming to terms with this new like digital age that other sports have clearly embraced to, to great effect. Um, and yeah, I think that's something that everyone is kind of aiming to address, um, not just you know this year, but in the coming years, to try and um, become a little more savvy in, in terms of how it's marketed, how it's presented in the kind of social media age. I'd like to ask you a silly question, Neil, and it might be slightly rhetorical, but did you watch the opening Formula One Grand Prix of the season? No. Did you see any of it anywhere? I watched the highlights, yeah. It looked pretty pretty dire, pretty dull. Um, <laughs> and I'm not just saying that. It's a very cynical um, two-wheeled fan. Um, but it genuinely looked like a pretty uh, a pretty dull race. I, I might be wrong, um, but it, it seemed that the battle for first was, was pretty much sewn up by the time qualifying came around. Um, and I was reading some comments that looked like... Um, I mean, they were quite pessimistic with regards to how that uh, how that season's going to pan out. It does look as though it's pretty much one driver's championship to lose already after one race. The thing is, I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old at home who were momentarily gripped by the latest season of Drive to Survive on Netflix. I mean, you know, they both hammered their way through this season and therefore their interest in the Bahrain Grand Prix Formula One was uh, peak. You know, it was on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we watched some of the build-up, and you know, it just occurred to me, and it's not a surprise, that the actual product itself, the racing, is ultimately the biggest letdown because you do have that whole build-up on the grid. You do have, oh, you know, what celebrities are around because, like it or not, there are people who are interested in who's watching Formula One. Uh, you know, the things like the Parc Ferme, um, the presentation, the whole glitz and glamour around it is, you know, fantastic. I mean, it really gives the impression of an elite-level sport, but the actual Laps, the actual action itself, um, you know, I think, well, 50% of my family fell asleep uh, when it was on. Uh, so I, this is something where MotoGP can win. And in my opinion, the product is up there with MotoGP, but the stuff around it needs to get up to something like F1 level, uh, something like the level of other premium sports. So I, I do hope that's something we'll see this year. And, 
the effort made by the people at Gas Gas is like a first step. You know, if they can keep up that kind of momentum throughout the whole season, maybe do it in the off season, maybe do it again at the start of next year, maybe Paul wins a GP. Maybe there's a real kind of impact. Uh, they've called the bike the Gas Gas RC16. So it is, you know, a, a recolored um, KTM platform. You know, maybe there's, uh, they are leading away a little bit in the way that MotoGP needs to be reimagined. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I think if you look at the off-season, Ducati have done a good job with how they presented uh, its kind of fleet for 2023. Obviously, a big year with riders wearing the number one plate in uh, both Superbike and MotoGP for the first ever time. Um, and yeah, I guess some of the other the other factories. I mean, Yamaha, Honda didn't seem to pay a great deal of attention with regards to doing something different or innovating in some way with regards to their presentation. But then, as we've debated, you know, this isn't the, the most important thing. Um, you know, it's, I guess it remains to be seen just how, how big a deal it is to, to present yourself at the start of the season and reveal your colours. Yeah, I, I guess efforts are negligible because, you know, if you look at live streams or you look at views of videos, perhaps they're not spectacular. They don't even worry the investment of the time or the budgets put into it. But then if you don't do it, you know, there needs to be a basic level of communication or, um, you know, hype around your, your, your projects. Otherwise, how is it ever going to improve? So it's, um, I, I feel it's something where you, you have to at least make a, an effort. And if you can try and do something different, then, then you're going to be standing out somewhat. But, um, you know, being at the Gas Gas then, to come back to the subject, uh, it, like you say, it was, it was lively. It was good fun. Um, you know, it was, uh, wasn't such a bad way to spend a Saturday night, even though we were locked in a, um, a small room doing media debriefs for the better part of an hour. So that was the, uh, oh, oh, woe is us, uh, our jobs. Um, you know, and the, the hamburgers were perhaps a little bit too small for our liking. <laughs> exactly, yeah, three... Three small hamburgers. Why don't just give us one full size one? But no, I guess it was a, it was a good it was a good job. And as you mentioned, we we, we spoke to some people um, at the at the launch. Um, we've got some clips for you coming up um, with some interesting things that were said. Um, not just about gas gas and kind of KTM. I feel we got maybe a, a more rounded idea of where KTM's at after the Sepang test. I think they were the big unknown from the first preseason shakedown that we had. Um, so that was positive, and then also just some interesting tidbits about you know the change in format this year, how riders are training differently coming into this year with the MotoGP sprints that they're going to be. Um, so yeah, I mean like uh, quite a few interesting little tidbits to to pick our way through. Um, before we get onto the gas gas stuff again, Neil, I mean Steve's had a really busy time with back to back you know World Superbike races, of course. Uh, he's due back in Europe any moment. I think he might even arrived, actually. Um, David, of course, is down in Portugal having a couple of days holiday before the test. So I'll be meeting up with him this coming weekend. Um, but, you know, MotoGP is getting closer, isn't it? We saw, like I said, we had the Mooney VR46 team presented, as well as LCR Honda doing something slightly quirky and different like they like to do every year. Uh, they had a terrible host of their video production last year, so I'm glad they improved their game this time. <laughs> it's a little uh, <laughs> Um, what do you think of the, the VR46 guys? Because uh, it's a black bike, no great change there. But I don't know about you, watching Marco Bezzecchi and Luca Marini talk, um, there just seems to be an extra confidence about that, that setup. Um, you know, if, if those two are not getting sort of regular podium appearances or at least in the squabble this year, then there's going to be something seriously amiss. Yeah, exactly. Those guys uh, launched their team at the start of this week, which is on Monday. 
Um, and yeah, absolutely, we had a chance to speak to both riders after the, the presentation or the online launch, I guess it was, that we saw. And yeah, they were both very, very confident. I think Lucas said that he aims to be among the top five guys this year. Uh, and Bez was basically just looking at how soon it's going to be until he gets his first win of the season. So yeah, both guys have pretty lofty ambitions. You have to say after pre-season, um, they have every right to have lofty ambitions for the start of the year. I think Mourinho was saying if you looked at pace, just pace at Sepang um, on the final day or the second of the final day, it was pretty much five Ducatis that would be occupying the first five positions. He said that, you know, go into Portimao, they'll have the bike to win pretty much from the first day, but it's just how quickly the other factories can, can kind of play catch up and maybe overtake them then, um, because obviously quite a few of them are still doing quite a bit of testing and trying to get everything sorted. Whereas they're just going there with um, pretty much the finished product um, and they don't have to work on any different bits of fairing or whatever it is that they might have to test. So, yeah, um, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't rule them out, would you, of, of kind of finishing both in the top six at the first couple of races. But can we imagine that Ducati, we really invest that much to making significant upgrades this year when, when the package is already that competitive? I, I understand if, say, Aprilia come with something where they go on a six-race winning streak and the likes of Gigi Dalinga and the rest of his crew have to go back to the drawing board and think we need something to get our bikes competitive again. But, I mean, let's be honest, you can't see that happening. I, for me, one of the more interesting narratives of this year will be which Ducati team comes out on top because you will have the factory team, you will have the Grassini team, you will have the VR46 team, like we said. You know, it's, um, you know, of course, Pramac. Uh, Johan Zarco might be dumped into that role of being a little bit the testing mule again for ideas for 2024. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't see the bike that Luca Marini is going to start the race on at Portimao being that much of a dog that he's not going to be fighting for podiums in the second half of the year. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think they're... they're kind of reinventing the wheel this uh, this winter uh, one of the few winters where they've decided not to do that and I think well obviously they're starting from a tremendous position of strength um, they ended last year with I think a bike on the podium at every single race um, how many victories was it it was something like 11 victories for 15 pole positions I think uh, from the 20 races we had in 2022 and the lockouts yeah and you know several lockouts to the podium many lockouts to the front row so they don't need to do this. Also, it's more important than ever to arrive at race one with a completely sorted bike just because of the new format. It's going to be so much more difficult for teams and factories to do development work over race weekend. So if you're playing catch-up at the first race, I think it's going to take you longer to get everything sorted than it would have done previously. So I think Ducati has maybe taken that into consideration as well. You're not heading to the Portimao test. Uh, you're going to the next one, right? Uh, what's, what's the reason for that? Uh, well, we'll be doing uh, after the flag show uh, on the video pass um, on Saturday and Sunday, the two days of testing. And that's basically just a 90-minute show each day where we'll be reviewing everything that's happened as well as some live reaction from the track. I think Simon Crefar will be at the track. Um, and, uh, yeah, myself and uh, Lewis Sotheby will be doing a little bit of presenting on the show from, uh, from Saturday. So, yeah, I think it's um, 6.30 CET to 8.00. Uh, both days. Yep, and then I'm off to Portimao the following week for the Moto2, Moto3 test. And then, of course, we're in the race one the weekend after that. So it's starting to pick up. Uh, Moto2, Moto3 haven't really had that many testing laps yet, have they? I mean, that, I mean, do you reckon that's a bit of a cause for concern or is it par for the course? 
Yeah, par for the course, I think. Um, there'll be some testing at Jerez prior to the, the Portimao test. So the guys will have, and they had a, a test at the end of last year in, in Jerez as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's maybe a little less than, than before, but nothing nothing to worry about, I would say. Uh, when we spoke to Augusto Fernandez, of course, the reigning Moto2 world champion, not in the class this year, at the Gas Gas launch, he gave us his opinion on who might be the, the champion this year, Neil. But to be honest, there was a lot, a lot of names he went through. I mean, well, we went through for him. I mean, there was so many candidates. There's no real, uh, apart from Ayogura, perhaps, based on the consistency that he's shown in last year. Otherwise, you'd think, goodness, there's at least half a dozen names here that are going to be, you know, throwing their hat in the ring. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think we had eight winners last year, Moto2, seven of them were first time. The only one that wasn't a first time winner last year was Augusto, obviously, and he stepped up to MotoGP. So you've got this kind of new crop coming through that are now either in their second or third years in the class and, you know, pretty much ripe at the age now, at the, at the sort of level where you expect them not to be fighting for victories, but for, for championships. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it should be, it has all the, the ingredients to be, I think, one of the better one or two seasons that we've had. Talking about the Gas Gas Factory Racing uh, launch, Neil, for Tech 3, it was something of a complete reset, wasn't it? I mean, 2022 was not a fantastic year. They, you know, KTM gambled on two rookies, Remy Gardner and Ralph Fernandez, and you'd think, based on the Moto2 season that we saw, I mean, that was another level of dominance. It was quite staggering to watch those two going at it and how they basically stretched away from the field. But um, it was not a fantastic year for the team. Um, in Red Bull Ring, KTM announced that the team would be switching to red. They'll be going gas-gas. We had the announcements about Polo Spargaro and, of course, Augusto Fernandez around the time of Motorland. I think he was already um, taking photographs for that announcement. So, you know, you have an all-Spanish lineup for an all-Spanish brand, um, you know, it's uh, and Jorge Poncharal for all the time and all the years that he's been in MotoGP, he was. Um, I don't. I don't think some of his exuberance and enthusiasm was uh, was too was over the top. You know, I thought he was. He seemed generally excited that this was like a fresh impetus for his team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, a whole new rider lineup, um, different colors. Um, I guess the the name of the bike is different, even though. Technically, it's still a KTM, but yeah, a bit of a, res uh, a reset. They needed that after last year. It was nothing short of disastrous. Um, I think Raul scored 13 or 14 points last year. Remy scored just one less, I believe. Um, and as you say, for the two guys that completely dominated the Moto2 the previous year, I mean, that was really, really disappointing. I think we were both expecting, or we were expecting a lot more from both of the guys. Um, but yeah, they've got experience now in the form of Paul Spargo. I think it's quite interesting that they've moved across Paul Trevathan from the factory squad to be his crew chief. Um, also, there's a bit of a change. Hervé, I think, is taking a bit of a step back from kind of team manager affairs ever so slightly. Um, He's more of a team principal now. Right, yeah. Nico Goyon, who used to be one of the crew chiefs in Tech 3 and has been for 20 years, I believe, or maybe a little less than that. He's now the kind of team manager. Um, so, yeah, it seems that uh, they've, they've kind of reworked the structure and yeah, I mean, like the, the comments that they were making certainly give the impression that they're very confident that this is going to be a good year. Um, I'm not sure if I buy into the total optimism that was shared by both Pete Barrer and Hervé, but I mean, you know, fair play. They, they, they seem to believe they can come out swinging and believe that in Paul, you know, he's going to basically just carry on from where he left off at the end of 2020 when he was in the best form of his, his MotoGP career. So, um, yeah, I... I 
kind of had the impression going to the launch that um, KTM were maybe in a bit of difficulty and that it was going to be maybe a tough season for the likes of Paul Spargo and Augusto Fernandez. But I came away from it thinking that maybe I had the wrong uh, perception. Yeah, Paul's race pace, by all accounts, was pretty good in Sepang. Um, and it's something of, you know, like a sub-cliche of tests that riders don't want to chase a fast lap time because they have other priorities. But it seems to be very true in this case where you do have another rookie trying to get used to not only the motorcycle itself, but, you know, everything that MotoGP pipe re represents in terms of electronics and, and other additions. Um, you know, it was interesting watching Augusto Fernandez's reaction when we asked him about comparing a Moto2 and MotoGP bike. You know, his, he was kind of shaking his head as if to say, can't compare it, guys. You know, it's, it's not possible. And, of course, you know, Paulo Spargaro, um, you know, he, he obviously, uh, some of his debriefs, Neil, especially last year, you know, when he was trapped, he, he was kind of confined by the, the circumstances in Honda. Um, so, you know, to, to see him almost having a fresh palette again to be able to make a motorcycle that he wants is encouraging. Whether you rate Paul or not, and I know we have listeners who think, you know, he is overrated. There are other people who think, you know, they like his transparency and the way he, you know, um, conducts himself. Uh, this could really be a fresh start. And actually, one of the first quotes we have coming up from Paul was about, um, you know, the work for the upcoming Portimao test and um, what he's got left on his plate. I feel that not about about testing, not so much. I mean, uh, testing big parts like aero or uh, engine or this kind of testing, it's it's not useless. But Portimao, I think, is not definitely the place to try these kind of things, and especially because we have the race in in one week after the test. So it's going to be more about um, setup of the bike. And once the setup of the bike is nice, we make sure we are fast. Then for sure we can test uh, some chassis or um, swing guns or whatever. But it's important to end up the test knowing that we have the best package for to handle the first race of the year. So, Paul, um, looking to get things sorted out for Portimao, Neil, where it's pretty much going to be a case of setting up smaller stuff, um, base setting for the year, also for the first Grand Prix. Uh, I, I, we're not going to see anything majorly radical from, from Gas Gas or KTM, I doubt, um, in the Algarve International Circuit. But other brands could still throw something in uh, into the mix, couldn't they? Yeah, they could, although whether they will, I'm not sure. I think Aprilia obviously have a their full 2023 engine to come. Um, Honda, Mark Marquez was saying that there's going to be some updates. Whether they'll arrive in time for Portimao, I'm not sure. That remains to be seen. Um and yeah, I mean, there's there's still time for KTM to bring one or two things, but certainly, what um, the guys were saying at the Gas Gas launch is they're pretty happy with the kind of combinations that they've made. They're obviously testing a couple of different engines, um, also like many different aero combinations, and um, it seems as though all the riders are pretty content with the kind of combinations. Like we think that this engine should go with this aero. Um, so, yeah, perhaps they will be able to now start working on refining that um, at the Portimao test. Yeah, actually, you asked Pitt Byra, the KTM Motorsports Director, about that. And, um, you know, Pitt was pretty revealing what he had to say. And uh, here's his quote. We prepared many things uh, already over the year with the test team over the winter. And then you have to you have to hammer it through, like in, in Sepang. And you cannot take care of the lap times. Of course, racing is about lap times. And... Uh, 
uh, we want to be as good as possible on the on the lap times but you need to treat the tires right for the right moment to make a fast lap time to be on the list really on the top and that was not our target we really had to go through nine different aero packages and different chassis different engines uh, we brought new electronic parts it was everything Nothing like, I mean, nowhere we, we changed the bike completely, but everything had a small improvement or, or a different part. So, yeah, we had to go through that. And uh, we, we, could, we could give quite clear answers to the most of the parts. So I feel we are already, uh, we will be ready for the Portimao race. Uh, so from this knowledge in Sepang, you know, the time is so short, you have to hurry up. So you have another chance in Portimao test. So we're going to bring, again, some different things and, and use that test again as a test. Um, and not for, for racing after lap times. Again, then to take out development speed from the race team and, uh, and then go calm into the season. So um, everything went actually according to our plan. Neil, we also spoke to Augusto Fernandez. Um, you know, he's going to be facing questions about the adaptation to MotoGP for months. Uh, you know, if the results go well or they don't go so well, then there's always going to be a pertinent theme, especially after, like we said, what happened with Tech 3 last year. Uh, you know, we. One of the interesting things as well was you were asking Paul about his training methods, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But um, you know, Fernandez seems to have the maturity, the intelligence. He's in his mid twenties. He's not like some young rookie, um, you know, coming into the class with barely any Grand Prix experience. Uh, five seasons, I think, he racked up in Moto Two. So he's he's been around the block. Um, and here's a couple of his words about uh, getting used to the Gas Gas RC16. Yeah, still, still need to to put all the things that I'm doing in, in automatic mode. Sorry, because <laughs> uh, maybe I'm still thinking and all the things that I'm doing and I'm while I'm riding. So um, yeah, starting. <laughs> General, uh, I'm a, a corner speed rider. Uh, a lot of speed on the corner and. This is not really worth the gas gas, uh, so it's more stop and go riding. It's this that I need to, to change. As we mentioned, you know, um, Paulo Spogaro, uh, you know, is the whole grid, not just him, of course, have to get used to the sprint format this year, uh, which means a new kind of intensity, both physical and mental. Uh, we've heard riders talking about this through, through preseason. Were there any kind of quotes or people that sort of stood out in your mind? Um, you know, Alessio Spargaro likes to talk a lot about his physical preparation um, as well as his psychological approach. Uh, you know, the guys really need to reorientate themselves, don't they? Because if you haven't sorted out the bike on Friday, then you're screwed. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we're going to hear a, a quote from Paul uh, in just a minute, but obviously, basically, he was saying that, uh, yeah, for this year, he's tried to basically make himself a little bit stronger. MotoGP riders obviously have to be super careful with their weight. Um, uh, you would say that the, the kind of the average weight of, of a MotoGP rider would be between 62 and 65, 66 kilograms. Um, and really uh, going over that by, uh, you know, two or three kilograms could make a big, big difference with regards to the bike's performance or with regards to the, the bike's top speed. Um, so, you know, Paul being one of the, the kind of smaller guys, I guess, um, you know, he was talking about having to put on more muscle, trying to make himself stronger, just so he could be more explosive across the kind of sprint format. Um, we spoke to Luca Marini at the start of the start of the week. He's obviously a taller guy, much like his, his half brother, um, and he was saying that this is somewhere where the kind of more diminutive figures on MotoGP grid will have an advantage because he can't afford to put on any more muscle. He's basically absolutely stick thin, just 
so he can basically make the, the kind of weight that he needs to be at. Um, and uh, yeah, he's obviously done quite a lot of training, but he feels that he won't be able to put on maybe the, the, the sort of the bulk that some of his rivals will be able to do. Um, so yeah, that's quite interesting how riders are basically switching up training methods. It's not just about, um, yeah, being kind of as thin and, and as light as possible. There's definitely an element where it's now, you always need strength to ride a motorcycle bike over a full race distance, but now to have real kind of explosive strength. I think Paul was mentioning how the sprint is going to be basically like a prolonged qualifying session where you're just going at it for 12, 10 to 12 laps, you know, full intensity. Um, you know, that obviously is going to require a, a different approach and a different kind of training regime beforehand. Let's hear what the Catalan himself had to say. As the rule changed quite a lot, the spring races and all this, um, for sure the preparation cannot be the same one. I, I really think that we need to keep adapting to the situations. Uh, so now the qualifying time attack is more important than ever because you, you start twice with it. So you need uh, a lot of power uh, to handle one lap and, and we need to make sure that this is great with muscles. And then uh, the first race, which is on Saturday, also it's pretty short, 20 minutes, which is so anaerobic. Uh, so you need big power, big muscles, even if uh, then at the end of the race, maybe you can drop a little by, by power uh, because aerobic, aerobically you are not as good as fit. But you, you need to, this, you know, these, um, we, we call these sparks, you know, in your body that allows you to overtake in the first in the first laps, or even if you handle a tricky situations on the start, you need you need a body to, to handle it. So it's it's going to be much different than last year. Neil, I want to come back to Paul um, in a moment because we asked. Uh, it was the Repsol Honda launch actually, where you know one of our Spanish colleagues asked Mark Marquez and Joan Mir about um, putting a little bit more pizzazz, I guess you could say, into MotoGP, that there was a perception that the championship or the sport was falling a little bit flat. And it comes back to what we were saying about branding at the top of the podcast and how people view the sport. Um, personally, I think it's a little drastic to look at that. I mean, I don't think MotoGP is in a hole, so to speak, um, especially with Marquez working a lot off the track to promote himself and what he's doing and being back to full fitness. I think we could be in, in, in store for a fantastic season. But, uh, you know, there's no doubt that there is maybe a harsher spotlight on the sport and what it's doing this year. Um, you know, the riders are going to have to, like I mentioned, reorientate themselves not only to on-track activities, but also what they're doing off it. Um, you know, the Portimao test is going to be, I think, the first time when Dorna really sit down with the teams and try and say, listen, guys, this is how a Grand Prix weekend is going to run now. And I'm not just talking about where the bikes have to be for a sprint race, you know, where the podium is going to end up, but also the extra activities the riders are going to have to do on Sunday morning, this um, apparent parade lap to the fans. You know, this stuff is all going to come out in the coming weeks, but um, we, the clock is ticking to the first Grand Prix. So I guess it's going to be an education process for everybody. And first up, here's um, what Paul had to say about you know, the riders doing this extra kind of promo work and opening themselves up to more accessibility for, for the public. I mean, we, we need to help our sport. Uh, it's for sure when, uh, if you ask someone to work more, uh, everyone is going to tell you no. I mean, that that's clear. The human wants to, to have a good uh, reward without working, but, you know, at the end, I think we, we need to all uh, work in the same direction and, and making this sport great. Um, I know, I'm not saying that this sport is not great enough. 
but I think it's greater than, than uh, everyone th thinks or sees at, at the moment. So we need to make it big. Um, you know, what we cannot do is stay on the sofa, lay on the sofa, and thinking that everything is going to change by doing nothing. So I think we need to do something different, and, and maybe these sprint races doesn't work. I don't know. But we, we need to see. We need to try. So uh, we, the riders, are the first one that wants to improve the situation. So maybe, maybe if this works, we are going to happy. Just quickly, Neil, your view. Um, are you? Oh, I know we like to be wise and old hacks, and you know we do like a bit of cynicism on the Paddock Pass podcast. But um, what's your view on, on on shifting things around? I mean, one big negative from a selfish point of view is we might not actually get uh, enough sit down time with these guys to do some in depth, long form articles that we kind of enjoy. But uh, I think you know sticking riders in front of cameras or giving them more. FaceTime with fans is something that could only be positive. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, the, I'm always a big fan of the, the behind-the-scenes looks at um, how a race weekend has gone for a rider, just so you can get to see some of the, the kind of the immediate reaction after a certain event. We're always, when we do speak to, to kind of figures, it tends to be maybe an hour, two hours after something big has gone down on the track and they've had a chance to go away, have a shower, compose themselves think of what the right thing is to say or maybe have someone tell them what the right thing to say is. Um, so yeah, I think um, seeing more behind the scenes stuff is, is always welcome. Um, yeah, I guess like what we were saying at the start of the show, just um, the kind of the the, the, the way of presenting yourself um, is, is is so important now in terms of some of the video output that you give, um, how you present yourself on social media. And I'm intrigued to see how this goes because we have mentioned that MotoGP is kind of a little bit behind in this regard, but clearly there are efforts to be made or efforts being made to, to try and bring it forward. So, yeah, let's see let's see what Portimao brings. Um, I, you know, we're, we're still going to have decent access, I think, to, to everything as journalists being there. Um, but obviously they're, they're trying to do this thing now where, um, you know, riders are on television um, or have TV cameras around them, maybe more than, than in previous years. So, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. I think it's going to take some adjustment. I don't think everything's going to run like clockwork from the off. I think, you know, and there's probably going to be some angry or frustrated people about, um, you know, changes to race routines, people that have been racing Grand Prix for 10, 15 years. You know, there's, uh, there's a whole acclimatization period that's got to go on. Um, Herve Poncharau, of course, you know, is president of ERTA. Uh, not only the team principal of his own team, and he's been around for decades. So, uh, you know, we felt that his opinion on the status of MoGP was particularly relevant. So uh, here he is. You, you can always improve. And uh, if you stand still, if you don't move, you go backwards. We, we know that in life. So clearly, nobody wanted to, to, to move without, uh, I mean, to stay without moving. The promoter is Dorna. And uh, Dorna, together with the manufacturer, the teams, the federation, uh, have brought a new format. I really believe this new format will bring something more exciting. You know, to have... Um, to have a start on Saturday, I cannot say a race, <laughs> and to have a race on Sunday will make qualifying even more important because the grid is going to be valid after the Q2 for both sprint and main race. Um, there will be different strategy for the sprint and the main race. Uh, in terms of how to use the tires, we got different size of fuel tank for the, the we can play with the engine uh, setting also because we are not so much worried about fuel consumption. There are so many things 
that we will learn and that can be different approach technically and uh, even mentally for a sprint than a main race. Uh, I think also, you know, on Saturday we have uh, cancelled the warm-up for Moto3, Moto2. We have reduced the warm-up in MotoGP that will give more possibilities to meet and greet with the interaction in between the riders, the fans, the riders and the media. And I think this, for me, should help MotoGP to, to, to make a step and uh, we will see. But uh, as you know, Carmelo always said, this is what we propose. We believe in it. That was asked by some of the big players in our championship. But we are always open for comments. And I think uh, halfway through the year, there will be discussion. Uh, do we want to keep it like this? Do we want to modify a little bit? But clearly, Dorma, together with uh, FIM, IRTA and um, MSMA, we are not willing to stay looking at the others moving and us not moving. So also we go to new countries, you know, we go to Kazakhstan, but we also go to India, which is the biggest motorcycle market in the world. Carlos Espeleta was there three weeks ago and he told me the, 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 the welcome I had there, the, 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 the following of the MotoGP there is going to be huge. You know, we went to Indonesia a few, I think it was last year, the first race, which was an incredible step. Now we go to India. So I think all together, this is going to make a big boost uh, for, 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 for the MotoGP championship worldwide, I believe. Hervé Poncheval there, Neil, um, he's, he's never shy when it comes to talking to, to people, uh, to the media. Um, Charm personified and definitely has an opinion and an informed insight, it has to be said, on the sport. So, uh, you know, Hervé taking more of a backseat maybe means he can t- talk to us more during the year. So um, I better make sure the, um, the recorder batteries are charged up um, before heading into any more debriefs. But... Um, one other thing we should maybe touch on, um, as we mentioned, Augusto Fernandez is the rookie in the class, the only rookie, so he's going to be appearing in the FIM Awards at the end of the season to get that one. Um, but he, you know, he was he presided over a, a gripping and, and slightly unpredictable Moto Two Championship last year. And we asked him for his prediction as to who's going to win the title this year in his absence. And um, right after what he said, I want to hear your opinion on who's going to be number one this year. I will go with Pedro. Uh, I think he can make the step. Uh, he was fast last year. Uh, he just needs the consistency, and I think he will, he will do it. Come on then, big man. Who's going to win the Moto2 World Championship? I mean, I hate to just basically listen to the, the current Moto2 World Champion and, and parrot basically what he just said, but I, I'm absolutely 100% in uh, agreement with uh, with Augusto. I think Pedro Acosta will be uh, the world champion this year. What, uh, can we dismiss Ayagura that easily? No, no, I don't think you can dismiss him. Um, and as we said earlier, there's maybe four or five guys that you, you imagine will be in the mix, but I just think if... Uh, if Acosta builds on what he showed last year, um, I think he is a bigger talent than Agura. Agura is steady. You can rely on him maybe racking up top fives right the way through the year. But um, I think if Acosta has a good preseason, we know he likes Jerez. We know he likes Portimao. He had fantastic records at both of those tracks um, last preseason and also um, in Moto3. Um, you know, there's there's no reason to think that Acosta won't come out sort of swinging um, now with a full year of Moto2 experience and crucially, you know, a full year of full championship experience under his belt because 2021 was still quite a weird year. I think we only had two sort of overseas races. Well, three actually, two in Qatar and then one in, in Austin. Um, and, you know, a lot of the other tracks we went to were ones that he already knew from rookies or from the junior GP 
So, yeah, um, I think that's, you know, last year's experience is going to work in his favour. And, I mean, he's he's, work, he's racing in the best team. Like, you know, the IO team has, you know, produced two of the last two world champions in the class and just has that sort of, that know-how, that, that brilliant structure. I know there's a lot of really good teams in Moto2, but IO certainly sits at the top of the pile, I think, at the moment. Gas Gas are trial world champions. They've also won the Dakar. Uh, they've won an Enduro. They've won an MXGP Grand Prix. They've won a Supercross main event. And at the event in Terrassa last week uh, was Izan Guevara, you know, the Moto3 world champion. Uh, his chances this year? I mean, do you think it could be a case where he slips straight into the category, makes an instant impression, or he has a slightly harder time like we've seen with perhaps the likes of Albert Arenas, Lorenzo de la Porta, um, you know, Toby, uh, to Tony Arbolino, actually, you know, trying to take in some time to, to find his feet. I mean, if you had to put sort of five euros on how it would go for Guevara, what was your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably bigger talent than any of the names you mentioned. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he he maybe gets a podium this year or two. Um, he's not going to be fighting for the championship, I don't think, but... And it's probably going to take a couple of weekends, maybe a couple of months before we see the best of him. But there's no doubt he has the he has the talent and the speed in a good team as well. Um, sticking with uh, Aspar Gasgas in Moto2 alongside Jake Dixon. Um, yeah, putting a championship position on the board, I'm not sure exactly. But I think, yeah, I would, I would say he'll probably finish on the podium at some point this year. Watching uh, Guevara and Pedro Acosta going at it would be, um, you know, a like, preview of MotoGP of the future. It'd be fantastic to see. Neil, thanks ever so much for talking, as always. Um, we'll be hooking up for the Paddock Pass podcast next week. I hope, you know, with Steve and Dave, the full lineup, chewing over what happened at the Portimao test, the final rundown to the first Grand Prix of the year. Don't forget to check out Rental Street Components. As we mentioned at the top of the show, there's so much there for your street bike. It's not just an off-road brand. And, of course, Gas Gas, get on the gas. Look for the red. It's going to be um, an interesting year. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street. From race to adventure, custom to naked, look no further than Renthal Street for handlebars, clip-ons, chains, and sprockets.